for some odd reason, I, I asked you to mark your Bibles. And a pastor's worst nightmare is when he gets to the pulpit, opens his Bible, and his notes aren't there. For some reason, my stuff was in Amos. We're not in Amos this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 2, and also you've probably marked your Bibles in Luke chapter 2. Last week we looked about the truth about Christmas that Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 17 and then spoke about it in chapter 18 about the reason why He came. And before Pilate He said, For this cause or for this reason I was born and for this cause I came into the world that I may bear witness to the truth. And we spoke about the truth of Christmas that Jesus came to, put to, put an, to, to bring a remedy to lies and falsehood and to deal with sin entirely. And this morning I want you to I want to go back in Matthew chapter 2. I want to read those first 12 verses of the chapter because I want us to look at all of the scenario and many of us are familiar with the Christmas story. Uh, for I can't imagine that there would be very many of us this morning that this is the first time we've heard it. Um, you probably look and are familiar with the nativity scene with the wise men and the shepherds and and uh, the, of course Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, the angels. And they all play a role, and that role is all really surrounded by the message. They were all brought to that place. They were all at that location because of the announcement of the birth of Jesus. That's really what brought everybody together around the baby was that message. And I want to look at that, look at this message this morning, and ask ourselves, what do we do with that Christmas message? What do we do personally, individually, how do we respond to the news that a Savior has been born? What do we do? And, and I, when we think about that, I want you to see how the message was responded to by other people. There are four different groups of people that we're going to be looking at that all heard the message, the announcement, that the King of Kings and Savior of the world had been born. And out of all four of those groups, they all responded differently. And I want us this morning to have open hearts and receptive hearts and honest hearts that we might say as we prepare for this, say, God, help me see which of these groups best describes me. Because I think at the end of the day, at the end of the message, I hope that the one, the way we are to respond, I hope that it is evident and that we will make the necessary changes in our life in order to ensure that we're carrying out that 2,000-year tradition of announcing the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet Micah, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me 
that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the place where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. At the end of verse 12, we've come in contact now with three different groups of people. And I want to, take a, I want to look first at the wise men. You know, there's not a whole lot we know about the wise men. We know that uh, they, they're often referred to as the Magi. Um, we know that they came from the east. We believe the Orient. And that, to the best of our understanding, they were some type of astrologers or scientists. And somehow, if you think about this, somehow these Gentiles living a great distance away had seen some type of a star. Now, now think about this with me. We can debate on whether it was indeed a star, whether it was a guiding angel. Whatever it was, we know from Matthew's account that it wasn't always present because Matthew's account records that when they left, they saw the star again and it led them back to the baby. So whatever it was, was leading them to the Christ child. Now, whether they saw this star and God had communicated through that star or through their understanding what the magnitude, they understood that that star represented the birth of the king. Now, think about this. These guys, uh, being Gentiles, being from a great distance away, being great, we would believe, scientific minds of the day, these men had very little information. These men had a star that somehow signified to them that God had birthed His Son. Some great announcement. And out of all of those other stars in the sky, out of all of that black night, and out of all of those other little blinking, twinkling objects in the sky, they found the One. And God used that One to bring those Gentiles to a place of worship. To worship the God of the nations. And I want you to think about this for a minute because this is truly remarkable to me. And in the ministry, I have noticed this in a similar way through the lives of people. You see, I have noticed people who are similar to the wise men. In the sense that they did not grow up with a wealth of knowledge and biblical information. They may not have grown up with godly mothers and godly fathers. They may not have a long list of a godly heritage down their family tree. They may not have gone to Sunday school. They may not have, have ever attended VBS or children's camps. But I have noticed something remarkable in the ministry. There are those few precious moments where you find someone, you stumble onto someone's testimony, and you see in their testimony they're very similar to the wise men. You see, they didn't have much information. They didn't have much light, if you will. They didn't have this whole ba the, the, this, this bank of information in which to make their decision based off. They only had a little bit. But you know what? Out of that little bit of information those wise men had, they used every bit of it. 
And in the ministry, I've ran across people like that. Not having great test, not having this great family heritage, not having all of this information, not having godly mothers or fathers patterning it, but somehow they heard the gospel. They saw in the darkness of their life this one little star appeared, this one little flash of light appeared, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they may not have known much, but they lived up to what they knew. And it led them to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what's so, what's, so, what's so amazing about these wise men? Is their dedication. Having such little information, following the star, they had such dedication and commitment and belief and faith that what they were following was real. And it showed up. It proved true in the end. Isn't it remarkable? These wise men, apparently the star has, had disappeared. So they pull into Jerusalem. Certainly if the king of the Jews has been born, someone in the capital city would know where the king of the Jews is to be born. So they pull up their caravan of camels, we imagine, into Jerusalem. And they think, well, if anybody would know where the king of the Jews would be born, it would be the king of the Jews, Herod. So they knock on Herod's door. Herod doesn't know. He turns to the religious leaders. And they know. You see what's awesome? I believe that star for just a moment. I believe that star, that light that those wise men were following. I believe God put his hand over it. Covered that star so it couldn't be seen. And I believe that God did that. I'm just assuming. But I believe that God covered that light so that those wise men in their dedication in their commitment to see this newborn king, would go knocking on Herod's door. Would go knocking then on the door of the religious leaders. And in God's own way, using those circumstances, that, that light that had gone out in the sky for a moment, he used that opportunity to declare to both King Herod and those religious leaders that the king has been born. Those wise men, without even realizing it, were proclaiming the truth all throughout their life just off of circumstances. These men had very little information with which to base their decision on, but what little bit of light they had, what little bit of truth they could grab a hold of, they made the most of it. What are you and I doing with whatever amount of information we have? What, what are we doing? What are we, how are we investing? How are we utilizing what light we have. Are we using our Bibles? We probably all have Bibles, if not multiple Bibles in our home. We all have access to Jesus Christ as believers. What are we doing with that amount of light that we have? Are we utilizing it? Are we putting it to good use? Because if we're not, the message, the life of the wise men will definitely convict us. Little information, great commitment, and great results. Notice with me this second guy. I hope that we do seek and worship him as the wise men did. Oh, before we move on, let me just say this. I know I shared this last year and maybe the year before that. But let me just say this. Those wise men teach us something awesome about worship. You know, when those wise men come and they see Jesus, they fall down and they worship him and they present to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And let me just throw this out. And again, I know some of you have heard this before, but I want to remind you, these wise men really give us one of the best definitions of what worship is. And it shouldn't surprise us that the birth of Jesus in that scenario, in that story, lies one of the best descriptions of worship. Because these men come in, they fall down, and they give these gifts to the king. And why that is so striking to me, why it is such a great description of worship, is because in my own life I have found that I have not really worshipped like that all the time. I have not given of myself to the king. Sometimes in my worship I try to barter with God and try to, try to sway God and try to enter into some type of a contract with Him and say, well, God, I'll do this. I will do this, or I'll, I'll do what you're asking me to do if you, in turn, will do this for me. And sometimes, and that's a very dangerous place to be in the life of a believer where we're trying to bargain and barter with God and try to use our worship or service as currency to get back something from God. These men, this is the great thing. They were giving, not because of anything they could receive from this baby. No, that baby couldn't have given them anything. They were coming to worship the king, and in worship they selflessly gave to him. Let our worship, our service, our obedience not be because of anything we hope to get from him, but everything because of what we have already received as children. Amen? Notice this second guy, King Herod. He is a piece of work. He is not even to be, he's not even a literal, legitimate king of Israel. He was referred to as the king um, at that time. He obviously had authority. Um, he had responsibility over the people of Israel at that time. He was actually an Idumean. He was a, a descendant of Esau. And this man was incredibly jealous, in, insanely insecure. History tells us that he had his, one of his wives and his two boys, excuse me, two brothers, killed because he was worried that they were threatening the throne. He was worried that they were somehow plotting against him and going to commit treason in an attempt for him to lose his throne. If you don't think that this man was insanely insecure, just remember his actions after the wise men didn't return. He went out and had all of the babies, two years and younger, murdered, hoping to be able to wipe out the king of the Jews. This guy was not a rightful king. Now think for a moment, this insecure, jealous king that was full of rage. Think of what happens when this insecure king hears the message from these wise men. You remember what their message was? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're asking the man who's sitting on the throne as the king of the Jews. When Herod says, go find the child and bring word back to me that I may worship him, was a lie. History didn't show that he wanted to worship him. He wanted to single him out to kill him. You know what's ironic? Herod had to have believed that the king had been born. 
You see, we look at Herod and we, we kind of classify him as an unbeliever, an infidel. But if you really look at the life of Herod, in order for him to feel that insecure, he had to believe on some level that that baby was indeed the king. He had to believe on some level that there was truth to the prophecy. He had to believe that those wise men who had traveled a great distance were really on a real mission to see a real king. I don't believe Herod was an unbeliever. I believe on some level he believed and he felt threatened by him threatened by the fact that here is now someone who's going to take my place here's someone who is the rightful heir of my throne and rather than to be an awesome picture of a king walking in and worshiping the king of kings Instead of giving us a, another, another image on the nativity scene of King Herod bowing and worshiping and giving glory and honor to the King of Kings, we see a man who refused to give up his throne. Thousands of children were slaughtered in his rage. Why? Because he believed the message. Why? Because he believed there was a real king who had really been born. And he knew that that throne was not his own. You know what? There is a similarity to our own lives. You see, Jesus didn't just come to be our Savior. He came to be our Lord. He came to be the ruler, or as Hawkins would say, Christ came to be the boss of my life. That's, that's toddler theology, guys. Jesus came to be the boss of my life. He came to be the ruler of me. And when I look at Herod, I think of something. I don't just see a real man who had real issues and was presented with a real Christ. But I see a battle that rages in my heart. You see, I want to sit on the throne of my own life. I want to call the shots. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I want to live my way. That's my natural instinct. I am selfish by nature. I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to submit to somebody else. It's all about me naturally. You know what? I bet if we're honest, we would all agree that down deep in our hearts, we battle with that too. We want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. And then comes Christ who says, you know what? I died not just to save your soul, but to be your Lord. Christ comes in and says, I'm the one who is intended to sit on the throne of your life. I'm the one who is worthy of being the king of your heart. No other above me, including yourself, he says. You know what? Internally, there rages a war. Do I get off of that throne? And bow and yield allegiance to Christ? Or do I hold on to it and white knuckle the sides? Refusing to get off. Only causing trouble for me and all Jerusalem with me. You see, when there's that battle raging in our hearts of, the sovereign, of, the, of allowing the Lord to rule in our life by walking in obedience and submission and yielding our spirit to His. When we struggle with that, we're not the only ones that suffer. Our families suffer. Our friends suffer. God's mission suffers, if you will. We're not accomplishing what we were made to accomplish. If you notice, when Herod heard in verse 3, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. When the madman was angry, it caused problems all around. 
Do we seek and worship him like the wise men? Do we feel threatened like King Herod? Today, will we allow him to rule our hearts? And probably the most egregious of all of the offenses, of all of the responses, lied with the religious leaders. You see, if you notice in verse 4, when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, quoting scripture, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The first group came, sought diligently, living up to that little bit of light they had. The second guy had all kinds of information and felt threatened by it. The third guys, the third group, had the most information of anybody. And again, if you notice the nativity scene, there is no carved images of the religious leaders of the day. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. They had a wealth of information. Guys, let me tell you something about this time. Throughout this time in Israel's history, people were starving for the Messiah. They were anxious for his arrival. They, they were looking, they were, they were hoping for hope that the Messiah was going to come. And here, if you think about it, the, 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 the wise men enter into Jerusalem, they talk to the king, and then the king says, I don't know where he's supposed to be born. So he calls the religious leaders and they say, oh, right here, it says in Micah 5, 2, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So think about the religious leaders. They had all of the wealth of this information regarding the prophecies. Nobody knew the scriptures. Nobody knew the prophecies better than these guys. They had wise men who have traveled a great distance and said, we have seen his star and have come to worship him. And the religious leaders never, never go to Bethlehem. They never go to the place where they have heard that these wise men know that the baby's being born, and now they know the location. They've got everything they need in order to get there, but desire. Guys, you know how far Bethlehem was from Jerusalem? Still is? Five miles. Five miles. Five miles away, and they never, which is a jog in that day. Five miles away, and the religious leaders never packed up, never went to go see the birth of Jesus. Here's the sad thing. The ones who should have been the most excited, the ones that should have anticipated it the most, were indifferent. Didn't care at all. How You say, Pastor, they didn't care. You don't know. I know if they did care, they would have been there. That's the biggest announcement in their lifetime in the history of the world. And they go back and play checkers. They're not concerned. Are you starting to see something? These three responses are not that foreign 
These three responses that we've studied already are not just responses from the biblical account of the birth of Christ. These are responses we see every day, every season. Don't we see all the time? Atheistic groups offended, scared of a manger in the public square. Then we find people that are not just indifferent to the cause of Christ, but are actually adamant and angry and upset and fearful over the message of the birth of Jesus Christ. And don't we see every year those who did not have much light, did not have much of a chance spiritually, don't we see them living up to the light that they have and coming to faith in Christ? Don't we see all too often those of us who know better not making much of the true meaning of Christmas. Don't we see many in the world around us becoming very indifferent to the message of the birth of the Savior of the world? Guys, let Christmas. We can't be upset for a lost world doing what a lost world does. We can't be upset for blind people demonstrating their blindness. But what can get under our skin is when those of us who know better are indifferent to the message of Christ at this time. When we substitute other things, place a, a, a predominance of other things over the greatest message in the world. Emmanuel, God is with us. Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices. That we would remember that it was an indeed a divine night when God became man and dwelt among us to take away our sins. Praise God for him and let nothing else take the place of the great message of Jesus Christ is born. Amen. There were those who lived up to the light. There were those who were threatened by the message. There were third that ignored it. Jump over to Luke chapter 2 with me and we'll finish this thing out. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I'm not going to wait because we've already been there. already warned you. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. I can't help but hear those words in my mind and, and think of the Peanuts characters. I don't remember which one said it, but whoever it is, his voice rings in my ear every time I read it. Linus, thank you, Philip. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Let me stop there for a moment. Verse 10. The fear that the, that the shepherds felt was not the same fear that Herod felt. Herod felt threatened. They were overcome by the glorious picture of those angels, the glorious image of those angels, and not knowing what that was all about. Different type of fear altogether. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. Notice verse 18 and 19. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in their heart. Verse 20, then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. These guys did not doubt the message. Blown away by the spectacle they saw on that hillside. That these lowly shepherds who often were, were looked down upon by the religious leaders of the day. These men heard the announcement of the birth of Christ. It's not uncommon. It would not be uncommon for them to see such a spectacle. And to run to see what it was all about. They lived up to the life they had. They found exactly what God said they would find. The Savior of the world, the Lord. And then you know what they did? I believe they could not contain themselves. You see, nowhere in there did the angels say, go and tell. We were told to go and tell the resurrection story. But at Christmas, there was no command that they needed to just go and tell. They were told to come and see. And once they came and saw... Those men so filled with joy from the message and from the truth that the Savior had been born. They ran out and made widely known all that they had seen. Saying, we saw angels announcing the royal birth. We saw this glorious spectacle out on the hillside as we were watching our sheep by night. They told us where to go and we left our sheep and we ran and found it just as the angel had said. We beheld the glory of that moment and then they run out and tell everybody the birth of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, has been born. Now let me ask you. I believe the Christmas message. I believe exactly what God's word says about that message. I believe that before the foundation of the world, God put into place the way he was going to save us. And he chose to save us by sending his son, who is 100% God, and he clothed him in flesh. Because you see, each one of us has sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And only way God could bring us to him, knowing that that sin has separated us from him, was to indeed redeem us and to pay our sin debt. And the only way he could do, the only one who could do that is God. And the only way he could truly be a sacrifice for us is to become like us. There in that manger, 100% God, 100% man. The beginning of God's redemptive work through Christ began. How do we respond to that today? How do we respond to the truth of the gospel as shown us in the Christmas story. Do we respond in faith as the wise men and the shepherds did? Do we believe it and allow that message to, to permeate our life as we receive His free gift of salvation through His finished work on the cross? Do we receive that through faith and live that out in our life? Or today, are we threatened by that message? Do we struggle deep down in our heart to allow God to have control, to walk in obedience to what we know His Word says? 
to yield our will over to his, to begin to say yes to God, not not now or no? Are we to that place where we're no longer threatened by the good and righteous king? Or are we like the religious leaders of the day? A wealth of information. We can tell you about every person at the, at the nativity scene. We can tell you we've been in church much of our life. We can tell you all kinds of Christmas stories. You could probably, some of you could preach this message better than I did this morning. But I'm not so concerned about what you know. But what are we doing with what we know? Are we indifferent to the message? Whatever your decision, if you are, praise God, if you are believing the message, living out the, the, the lordship of Christ in your life, praise God, I want to encourage you. Those wise men had an impact on the world that they didn't realize they were going to have. The impact on your life, from your life, for the purpose of the kingdom, when you submit to the will of God, will go beyond what you could ever imagine. You are and will touch lives. And if you have in your heart today, you know you haven't, Maybe you've trusted Christ as your Savior, but you're struggling with Him as Lord. Today, would you be willing to say, God, I know you're good. I believe you're good. I believe you love me. And I believe you have an awesome plan. And any time I tell you no, I'm rejecting your plan and don't believe that you're really good. Today, would you be willing to say yes to God on whatever it is? Would you, whatever that is, would you lay it down and say, God, I'm going to do what your word says to do. No longer being indifferent. Father in heaven... I praise you, Lord, that the message still goes out that God is with us. And Lord, even though that child grew up and stretched out his arms in the sacrifice for which he came to purchase us as his children, to pay the penalty for our sins, Lord, if we would receive him as our Lord and Savior today. Father, I know that shortly after he was crucified, he was resurrected to show that everything he ever said was true. To show that that sacrifice was accepted. And he ascended back to heaven. And right now your son sits at your right hand. But Father, he did not leave us orphans. You promised your disciples, you promised us that you would never leave us or forsake us. And you have placed within us as believers the Holy Spirit of God. And today, Father, I pray that your spirit tries our heart. You promised that he would guide us into all truth and righteousness. Today, Father, I pray that your spirit examines every corner and crevice of our heart, of our life, Lord, that he would reveal to us those areas where we have not yielded control. Those areas of our life, Father, where we have not trusted your lordship or surrendered to your word or will. Father, I pray this morning that you lead us to a, a right decision. Whatever decision that is for us, help us to make it and stand boldly today in your will. In Jesus' name we pray.